judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good. Spring break is, well, by the time this episode comes out, spring break will be over, but spring break is about to happen for me. It's Mm. late, but um, that's because we celebrate it during Passover instead of like in March, like most schools. So better late than never. True enough. And we're, we're needing it. We're, we're ready. (laughs) How about you? What's up? Literally nothing. Oh no, I did this cool thing. Um, Uh, me and a couple of friends, it wasn't my idea, it was one of my friend's ideas, uh, but we started what's called a cookbook club. So basically, we all pick recipes from one cookbook, and then we have like a potluck. Cool. The first one was last weekend, it was super successful. I mean, so we, the book we used was called, uh, Binging with Babish, and he does recipes from TV shows and movies. So I made prison, prison gravy from goodfellas where you're supposed to cut the garlic with like a razor blade have you seen goodfellas <laughs> uh no nope 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 oh no you haven't seen goodfellas nope i haven't seen goodfellas i haven't seen scarface i have seen the godfather that's not important but only goodfellas the first though is like such a perfect film oh man i have to make you watch that it's so good I mean, yeah. I don't think it's not good. I just don't think it's something that I would care about. Like, I wouldn't be excited to watch it. Do you know what I mean? But the magic that is Ray Liotta. He's so good. <laughs> He's so good in it. I don't. There's, I mean, ugh, that's just like, and Joe Pesci. Like, it's so good. And I usually don't go in for like a lot of mafia movies, but that one is my favorite. Like, that's a one, that's one that like, if it's on TV, like throw the remote across the room because I'm going to finish watching this movie. Like, I don't care what point we are at it. We are in the film. I'm watching the rest of Goodfellas. It's so good. Okay. I mean, I know it's very, it's well-renowned. I Mm -hmm. I don't question that it's a well-done film. I just, it never, like that genre, again, like you said, you don't go in for it a lot, but Mm -hmm. like, I don't really at all. And I think Godfather was the first one I saw. And so it's just like, meh, okay. That, I get, like that, I feel like Godfather is like very bloated and very like overhyped. So I've seen the Godfather and then like begrudgingly have seen the other two. And I'm just like, ugh, okay. I I have beef with the Godfather too because of the portrayal of Cuba. (laughs) Well, you know what? There's no negative portrayal of Cuba in Goodfellas. All right. All right. Well, I think, I don't know. Movies are my love language. So I'm like, you need to watch this. I know I say that rejecting every tv show you've ever told me to watch but it's different because tv shows are like way longer and a movie if you don't like it within the first 20 minutes you can be like okay i'm done but like usually movies will catch your attention you don't like the first first, tv show within the first episode you can shut it off and like at least you've got the end of it (laughs) the credits have come (laughs) but then you have to watch like a whole bunch more like there have been shows that you've recommended you're like oh the first season is a little rough but, like, you can get through but it. isn't that true of, like, Parks and Rec? 
Like, I think the first season of Parks and Rec is pretty rough, but I love that show. But when I watch Parks and Rec, there were like three seasons out already. So if I would have just watched Parks and Rec from the first day of it being on the air, I would have never watched the second season. But it was already out, which you always bully me for waiting to watch TV shows. But you have to wait sometimes, much like the prison sauce from Goodfellas. It needs time to simmer and cook. I will say, like... I don't feel that need for me personally, but I also get it because when I see some of these people online, like, you know, I like to watch Ted Lasso and it comes out week to week and Mm. people are all up in arms about like, oh, this happened. Oh, what's going to happen now that that happened? And I'm just like, just wait and let the story unfold. Let them tell the story that they want to tell. And then at the end, we can judge if it was bullshit or not. <laughs> I am saying, and that's not saying like, if you don't like it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't like it, leave a show, right? I've done it before. Um, good Girls, couldn't get I through it. I loved Good Girls. Could not get through it. We tried like a half a season though. and <laughs> I was like, nope, no more. But yeah, so if you straight up don't like something, mm-hmm. then don't keep watching it. But if you're just yeah. like oh, I don't know what they're going to do with this character. I'm mad at this plot point. It's like, wait till the plot point finishes and then come out at at me at mad. Those people don't deserve to watch TV. I don't know who those people are, (laughs) but they don't deserve to watch TV. Well, they're all over the internet. Well, let them stay there. (laughs) Let them stay there and not here. Yeah. So this episode's coming out in mid-April, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's intentional with the person that we're talking about today, right? It's absolutely intentional because the person we're talking about today was born on April 16th. And we figured like as close to her birthday as we could get, right? And eerily enough, we were recording on the day that she died. Oh, yeah. We're talking about. We are talking about the Tejana music star Selena Quintanilla. We will be looking at her history in the music industry, the reactions of audiences, and the reception of her music in both Mexico and the United States. We will discuss her death, especially as it relates to fans' reactions and how in some ways her death overshadowed her life in mainstream pop culture. Finally, we'll discuss the impact Selena had both during her lifetime and after it, including her impact on the Latin music scene of the 90s and beyond. So some trigger warnings, a brief discussion of murder and sexual assault selena quintanilla later selena quintanilla perez was born april 16 1971 in lake jackson texas which is about 50 miles outside of houston selena was the youngest of three kids born to marcella ophelia quintanilla and abraham quintanilla jr her mother was a homemaker and her father was a former performer a former performer <laughs> <laughs> his band was called los dinos they played polka doo-wop and later tejano music so let's talk a little bit about tejano music for a second because this is going to come up later it's pretty key to uh selena and her music mm-hmm. so tejano aka tex-mex music is a style made by blending mexican and u.s influences along with german genres and mostly the polka with the german influence i'll like i'll try and share some like on my instagram but it's it's super weird because when you hear it all together it's like oh i can hear the polka influences it's, it's like, like how a lot does of that accordion. work accordion 
yeah yeah it works really well honestly i don't know how i would like to do a deep dive of how it all got started like who put these these things together but it does sound really fun it works well yeah it does so selena's musical journey started early by the age of six her father heard her voice and started training her abraham had music in his soul and could see it in his daughter she loved singing along to anything that her father played Abraham started a family band consisting of Selena on vocals, her brother Abraham III, a.k.a. A.B., on bass guitar, and her sister Suzette on drums. The family opened a restaurant called Papayayos, where the kids performed most nights. Abraham quit his job to spend time running the restaurant with his wife. Unfortunately, the restaurant went under, causing the family to have to file for bankruptcy, and they even lost their home. So the family moved in with cousins and leaned heavily on the band to make money. Selena y Los Dinos played everywhere. Street corners, private parties, fairs, weddings, and quinceañeras. These performances started to pick up with Abraham as their manager. He was booking gig after gig for the kids. I mean, I call them kids, but (laughs) they were. They were pretty young. They were, yeah. So many gigs that the band's touring schedule began to clash with school. Selena was in the eighth grade at this point, and her teachers were worried. She was coming in tired, having issues focusing in class. Her dad's solution? Take her out of school. I mean... (laughs) I mean, probably as it was happening, it was like, sir, this is a terrible idea, but like... We got Selena fast forward. <laughs> yeah, fast forward. Like he knew what he was talking about. And and Selena finished her education on the road. I mean, by the time she was 17 years old, she earned a high school diploma from the American School of Correspondence. So Selena and her siblings moved onto a tour bus, lovingly named Big Bertha. The first few years of touring was hard. The family used all of its savings to get and fuel the bus. The band would sometimes play for food and studio time. In 1984, Selena and the band recorded their first LP. Now, Selena found a mentor in Johnny Canales, a former Tejano singer and host of the Johnny Canales show. Selena y Los Dinos had their first live performance on his show, and they later performed often. Like, they came back multiple times, right? Johnny Mm. would take the group to see other bands and showed them the ropes. It was on this show that Selena was discovered by Rudy Trevino. He was the founder of the Tejano Music Awards. So this was huge for Selena, and her band caught the eyes and ears of basically the king of their music genre. Rudy was a fan, and Selena won the Female Vocalist of the Year Award in 1987. She would go on to win it nine times in a row. That's, like, really impressive. (laughs) Yeah, and she's so young at this point. I mean, she's 16 and the first time. I think that's Mm -hmm. pretty young. Yeah, that is. So we know what you're thinking. Well, everything is going so well. Selena's career must be huge. But dear listener, you have forgotten about our old enemy, the patriarchy. While Selena was easily the most popular female Tejano singer, she was still a female singer. Between that and her age, many venues in Texas refused them. When they did let Los Dinos play, the money conversation was usually strained. Many of the promoters told Abraham that they wouldn't pay full price for a woman singer. He was often warned that Selena would never be a success because Tejano music was a genre that was dominated by men. I'm sorry, but like, you know, that phrasing is so annoying because it's like, but I will pay full price for a man singer. Like, he's not saying that. Ugh. 
So by the 1990s, America saw an influx of Mexicans coming across the border into Texas and California. With them, they brought their culture and their music. Slowly, the demand for Tijano music was growing. According to journalist Maria Celeste Arraras, Selena's ascending career corresponded to the increasing popularity of Tejano music in the mid-80s. The Latinx population had swelled so that this minority consisted of nearly 30 million people by this point. In addition, there were millions of Mexicans on the other side of the border, people who were already fans of Tejano culture. It's not surprising that profits generated by Tejano music record sales grew at an amazing rate throughout the 80s and into the 90s. Like, Selena was growing too. She wasn't a little kid anymore. She was a young woman who was learning how to be a young woman on a bus with her whole family. She and her father often butted heads about her outfit choices. But like teenagers, she was experimenting with makeup and fashion, but then she had to go on a stage. The fans loved it. Her dad, not so much. He didn't care if sex sells. This was his family on stage, and Abraham vetoed the sexy outfits. So, like, I'm on two sides of this. Is It's like, on the one hand, I get that idea of, like, she shouldn't have to be sexy to be able to perform her music. But then mm -hmm. there's the other side of me that says, like, who cares what she wears? It shouldn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, but he's right in a sense but at the other on the other side it's like ugh, you're perpetuating that stereotype right yes but i also like that he wasn't willing to sell his daughter out yes. for like some cleavage you know like he was like no you don't need that and she was like i do because i'm a teenager and i'll do what i want right so i feel like it was definitely more about her like self-expression than like trying to sell an album I'm glad that he didn't lean into the, yes. hey, my daughter's growing and she's got boobs now and we can market this because yes. there are other artists that do or other managers that do. And that's vomit inducing. Fully agree. So Selena worked with her mom, Marcella, to keep the outfits cute, but also dad approved. Marcella wore many hats. She was the bus mom, referee, wardrobe assistant, and even worked the stage lights from time to time. While Selena and Abraham came to a compromise over fashion, they still fought about the direction of the music. While Selena had been singing in Spanish all her life, it wasn't her first language. She learned it phonetically to be able to sing the songs. She wanted to cross over into English, specifically pop, and Abraham didn't support this, but at least not yet. He wanted Selena and the band to stick with their roots. He also had had bad experiences in the world of pop and was looking to avoid that for his family. So Abraham wasn't wrong. Tijano music, for all its struggles, led the family to success. By 1988, Selena had released five LP records and was known as La Reina de la Onda Tejana, a.k.a. the Queen of Tijano music. While performing at the 1989 Tijano Music Awards, <clears throat> Selena was discovered by Jose Behard. He was the head of EMI Latin. It was an offshoot of Universal Music Group. Jose was on the hunt for the next Gloria Estefan. So, like, do people know who Gloria Estefan is? They better. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the younger generation might not. So, like, if you don't, she's saying, um, the rhythm is going to get you. And for our Parks and Rec heads, she also sang, get on your feet. It's the song that plays when Leslie and Opa and her friends are, like, trying to get to the stage. Mm -hmm. You know that on the ice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it I just remember. plays over and over again. Um, yeah, so. She also sang the theme song to One Day at a Time. Oh. So. That for, like the for our young one? Our real young ones. Yes. For the, oh. the contemporary. The, the, the new, like, the Cuban run version. Oh, the remake. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So Gloria Stefan is also a seven time Grammy Award winner and a Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. So like maybe we should do a little rep on her. All right. Maybe. I'm down. Always adding things to that list. Right. (laughs) Anyway, Jose Bejarro was the head of a super new division and getting talent like Selena to sign on would be a huge deal. Bejarro wasn't the only person looking to capitalize on Latin music. Sony Music offered Abraham twice what EMI Latin's signing bonus was. In the end, Abraham chose EMI Latin's offer because they talked about the potential for a crossover album. As a bonus, Selena y Los Dinos would be the first musicians to sign to the label, giving them more access and attention. So they started working on their debut album, and as soon as possible, they hired more songwriters and musicians. One of them was Chris Perez. He was a very well-respected Tijano guitarist. He was hired by Selena's brother, A.B. He was the band member and now producer. For the album, Selena recorded three songs in English. Behar brought them to the heads of the label and requested a crossover album for her. The album request was denied. The label thought that Selena needed a bigger fan base to sell a full or partially English album. Like, how do you get a fan base? You get a fan base by making an album and selling it. Mm -hmm. But hey, what do I know? Anyway, in interviews, Behar expressed thoughts that the label didn't have any faith. They didn't see a Mexican-American woman as having crossover potential. The album album Selena climbed to number seven on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Albums Chart. The album led Selena to win Female Vocalist of the Year and Female Entertainer of the Year at the 1990 Tejano Music Awards. The album did help with Selena's popularity. The cover was very sexy and daring. This bothered her dad, of course. But it also made Selena a sex icon. Her looks were not the only things that stood out. According to Latin Style magazine, the tracks Suki Yaki, Contigo Quiero Estar, and Besitos were pivotal recordings that showcased Selena's mixed rhythm and sound. This would become her trademark. You know what's what's catching me here about this album cover is it's It's reminding me of like our discussion on Whitney Houston and the album covers and how like they made Selena super sexy on this cover because, oh, she's Latina. So it's got to be like that spicy Latina stereotype. Exotic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like they wanted her to look exotic on it. Like there's um, we're going to talk about it later, but there's like a TV show on Netflix and they have like a whole episode just based on this album cover and the whole thing was like put her in the desert she'll look exotic and it's like what what is this like this is not me yeah yeah so in 1990 while selena was touring she was asked to be the spokesperson for coca-cola in texas things were going pretty well ab and chris perez composed the jingle that they used for the coca-cola ad leading selena and chris to spend more time together and the two started to develop feelings for one another. But, you know, then Abraham finds out and he forbids the relationship. That always works. Good yeah. idea, Dad. <laughs> you just say, no, this can never happen. And then you walk away and everyone is listening to your rules. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Anyway, that's not that's not how love wrote works because the romantic feelings continued on a trip to mexico with the band so in his book to selena with love chris speaks of feeling so drawn in and seen by selena but also understands the risk he had a girlfriend and he had a job and both could be lost by moving forward with this crush in the book chris says as the days passed between my return from acapulco and my next tour with selena and the band something started to happen to me i began to think about selena constantly Her eyes, her lips, her body, her laughter, and feeling so anxious to see her again. 
part of me hoped that she felt the same way about me while part of me hoped that she hoped even more that she didn't so that I, so that we could stay friends and keep playing music together listeners she did the song dreaming of you <laughs> very much about him uh, anyway because of all of this the two thought it would be best for them both to distance themselves from one another but it didn't last very long they'd sneak off for walks or dinner before shows they expressed their feelings for each other one night at a pizza hut <laughs> um, and then chris broke up with his girlfriend and the two became a couple in secret the secret dating lasted for a few months, according to an article written for Harper Bazaar. It was Selena's sister, Suzette Quintanilla, who alerted Abraham, their dad, to the clandestine love story happening under his nose. But when Abraham eventually found out, he threatened to disband the group unless Selena removed Perez from the equation. Devastated, Perez retreated. Abraham fired him. Perez flew home, where he quietly kept in touch with Selena as her stardom amplified. <sighs> Like, I understand the dead had all these intentions and stuff, but mm -hmm. it's like that idea of trying to keep your daughter, this little girl, or to like keep her isolated from relationships because she's got a career that she has to focus on instead. It's yeah. like, you can actually have multiple of those things. You can. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Selena went on touring and recording. Her second studio album, Ben Conmigo, was released September 1990. Following the album's release, Selena's popularity leaped. The comparisons to Gloria Stefan and Janet Jackson started. And Selena responded to these comparisons by saying that she didn't like to be stereotyped. She said, I think it's good to be different. And if you're first at it, it's even better. As her popularity surged, so did the people around her. A fan named Yolanda Saldivar approached Abraham about starting a fan club. Now, Selena loved her fans and often spent time before and after shows interacting with them. Abraham and AB thought it would be a great idea for exposure, and the request was approved, and Yolanda became part of the work family. On April 2nd, 1992, after two years of dating in secret, Selena and Chris eloped. Selena was sick of sneaking around, and she understood how important family was to her father. The solution? make chris her family <laughs> it's it's kind of a genius idea you know it's yeah so the two were married and on their way to tell selena's family but the media got wind of it first and announced the news before they could Ugh. her parents were pissed they felt lied to they felt left out but ultimately they accepted chris abraham told texas monthly after that i accepted him as part of the family what else could i do Selena and Chris moved into a house right next door to the, the rest of the Quintanilla family, and he resumed his role in the band. I mean, I guess the dad was like, okay, well, if they get into a romantic relationship and then it doesn't work, then we're going to have to get rid of him from the band anyway. So let me get rid of him yeah. now. Oh, wait, you're married? Okay, well, you're back in. <laughs> Selena was in a great place. You know, she was a newlywed. The relationship with her parents was relaxed again, and she had another album coming out. Her third studio album, Entre a Mi Mundo, came out in May of 1992. The album hit number one on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Albums chart and stayed there for eight months. With Entre a Mi Mundo, Selena became the first female Tejano artist to sell over 300,000 copies. By 1994, Entre a Mi Mundo was ranked as the second best-selling regional Mexican album of all time. Not for a woman, but for everyone. Of all time. Yes. 
think that's a very important distinction because everything else has been like for a woman best like female performer and it's like no just of all of all of them yeah she was the number one so selena's schedule tour schedule was picking up tremendously while on tour she recorded an album called live live won the grammy award for best mexican-american album at the 36 grammy awards that grammy win introduced her to an american audience and ushered and ushered the way to that crossover album she was promised years ago Opportunities were everywhere. Selena did several cameos in Mexican telenovelas and in a film called Don Juan DeMarco, which starred Marlon Brando, Johnny Depp, and Faye Dunaway. Like, oh my God, I remember this soundtrack. I don't remember the film. I don't even know if I ever (laughs) saw the film, but this soundtrack is giving me mad middle school flashbacks. Like that song, When When You Love a Woman, Mm. it just, that was like the slow song at the middle school dances it was just on the radio everywhere like i think i had that soundtrack even though i had never seen the movie because of the song because you liked the song song that was on the radio and you went out and bought the album for it back then (laughs) there was no single for it because you would buy the single if there was no i don't think so i don't know maybe i but I just remember this song like as soon as Don Juan, De, when you said Don Juan DeMarco, I was like, the image of the cover came right to mind. And I started <laughs> singing the song in my head. And I'm like, I'm going to go Google this and listen to the song. <laughs> I know the song you're talking about, but I've never seen this movie. Like I've heard of it, mm-hmm. but I could not tell you what it was about <laughs> at all. I mean, Don Juan kind of, I, I feel like that. Like, you know, a Don Juan story. I, do, I don't like, know. Is he like a gigolo? He's like a romantic Yeah, guy. like a romantic, like the the, the 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 suave lover kind of vibe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember the movie at all. I just, yeah. I <gasps> remember awesome. the song, though. <laughs> we'll, have a, we'll have a Big Reputations movie night and we'll watch it, maybe. I wonder if it's any good. We'll check it out. But so that opportunity was there to be in Don Juan DeMarco. But the one, the opportunity she was most interested in was fashion. Yeah, exactly. In 1994, Selena began manufacturing a line of clothing. For years, she'd been drawing her own tour outfits and making them with the help of her mother. But now there was bankroll behind her vision. Selena was able to open two shops, both named Selena, etc., both in her home state of Texas, one in Corpus Christi and the other one in San Antonio. Both shops also had a beauty salon in-house. Selena wanted to create a space where women could feel pampered. I kind of love that. Yeah, it's like a two for one. Yeah. These shops were a huge undertaking, though. Selena was wrapping up her fourth studio album, Amor Prohibido, and preparing for her English crossover, all while trying to spend time with her husband and family. This is when Yolanda from the fan club stepped up and offered to help her. Saldivar became the manager of both boutiques and took care of the day-to-day. She became Selena's right-hand man, if you will. She was always too kind and ready to pitch in, but the whole Quintanilla family were super impressed by her. If you're suspicious, listener, you should be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you should be. Be suspicious of people too eager to help you. Also, we didn't mention it, but like she ran that fan club for free. Sus AF. <laughs> yes. As we said, Selena and EMI were preparing for a crossover album. This would be the her first solo album, as the deal for the English album didn't include Y Los Dinos, right? Just Selena. 
EMI required all new producers, songwriters, and a band and insisted that Selena get a vocal coach. They were worried that her voice wasn't strong enough. I mean, even though that she'd been singing since she was eight, but sure, go off. Yeah. While Selena was busy jumping through hoops trying to get this album released, her boutiques were running into problems. By the end of 1984, both boutiques were losing staff left and right. Those that quit noted that Yolanda was the problem. They brought their concerns to Selena, who dismissed them. Yolanda had never shown Selena this negative, rude, and bullying side that people were complaining about. Yolanda loved Selena and understood her vision. Selena thought that there was no way that the rumors were true, as Yolanda knew how important this was to her. When the complaints and concerns fell on deaf ears, the staff, which included Selena's cousin, reached out to Abraham. Deborah Ramirez, the cousin, reached out to Uncle Abraham about Saldivar's behavior as it was not just affecting the staff anymore, but clients as well. Selena dismissed her father, claiming that he didn't trust anyone that wasn't family. He had often distrust people in the past, and she thought that this was just more of the same. I mean, she's not wrong. This it is it has been his kind of MO. And so yeah. it's and this is someone she trusts or she thinks she should, so mm-hmm. But by 1995, fans started to report that they had paid for a membership in the Selena fan club, but never heard or got anything that they were promised. Membership included a signed 8x10 of Selena, a newsletter, membership card, stickers, a pencil, and a t-shirt. When the complaints reached Abraham, he started an investigation and uncovered that Yolanda was more than just rude. She was actually stealing. There was quite a bit of money missing. To the tune of more than, you know, $30,000. The fraud was linked back to Yolanda forging checks from the fan club and the boutiques. You know, if she had just taken a freaking paycheck, she would have been fine. Exactly. Anyway. I mean, that's probably what she would have made a year, right? Back then. Anyway, Quintanilla Jr. brought the evidence to Selena and she was shocked and saddened. Selena, her father, and her sister Suzette met with Yolanda to get answers and to give her a chance to explain. Saldivar said that she would provide proof that this was all just a misunderstanding. Abraham gave her a time frame to provide the documents. If not, he was going to the police. He also forbade her from meeting with anyone but him. However, Selena still saw Yolanda as a friend. Maybe he was just, you know, maybe someone who just made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Selena was in a bit over her head with the shops. She had a ton on her plate. Yolanda had the bank records and the statements, all the financial records, and she needed those things back so she could continue her business. Sure, she did. She needed those she things did. back so she could tweak them. Oh, you're saying no, Selena, Selena needed, them, needed back. them Okay, Oh, yeah. I thought Yolanda was, like, asking for those back. <laughs> oh, no, you're right. I said she. No, no, she's you're, you're totally right. That was my misunderstanding. Yeah, Selena needed the documents back. Got it. Selena was frustrated, and Yolanda was getting strange. You know, she was leaving voicemails and letters for Selena that were getting more and more frantic. One night, Yolanda called claiming that she was attacked and raped by two men and asked Selena to come to the hospital. Selena, of course, went and picked Yolanda up on the morning of March 31st, 1995. After the hospital examination found no evidence, Selena was furious and demanded that the lies stop. Yolanda once again claimed she didn't know what was going on, but she had the documents Selena needed in her hotel room. And it's like one of those situations where you're like, I want to believe her that she was attacked. Yeah. And and we all know that sometimes those tests are not fully accurate and everything. Mm-hmm. But the problem was she had already established this system, this 
this reputation this, for lying. Yeah. And, but she had a baseline of like lying. Right. So, and so it's understandable that Selena would have like been suspicious of that. Mm-hmm. Selena drove them back to Yolanda's motel room in Corpus Christi. According to Yolanda, once inside, Selena demanded the financial papers. She yelled and threatened to leave. This is when Yolanda pulled out a gun. Selena turned to run and was shot once in the back lower shoulder. She was able to get out of the room and ran to the hotel lobby where the staff called 911 as she laid on the ground bleeding. Selena was able to tell the staff who shot her and the room number. Then she stopped responding. Selena was taken to the Corpus Christi Memorial Hospital. The doctors tried, but there was too much internal bleeding. She was pronounced dead at 1.05 p.m. on March 31st, 1995. So we're going to talk a little bit about the murder. We're not going to talk about the trial because it's not, it's not part of Selena's story. Right. Yeah. So... After Yolanda shot Selena, she locked herself in her car with a gun. She and the police had a 10-hour standoff. By this time, fans knew about the murder and had shown up to the hotel. Many screaming, yelling, shouting at Yolanda. Selena's murder was shocking as she was only 23 years old and her career was on the rise. People and fans were outraged. It was front page news. There were thousands of visuals and memorials held in her honor. There was one in my neighborhood and, and one at my school. Radio stations devoted more than 24 hours of just playing her music on repeat. Oh, wow. Selena's casket was laid out for the public, drawing around 3,000 fans. Her funeral drew even more. 60,000 mourners came, and many of them from Mexico and overseas. The family had a private funeral and a burial on April 3rd. The Latino community was deeply affected. People came out to grieve with one another. Selena's home, the site of the murder, and her father's recording studio were covered in flowers and candles left by mourners. Selena's death made her a household name. Well, at this time, the media was describing her fans as cult-like, but I, I really don't like that at all. I think that the media didn't understand how important her relationship was to her fans. She didn't just sign a few extra autographs like Selena spoke at schools to encourage kids to stay in school and stay drug free. Even when selling out huge stadiums, she continued to tour small remote venues because they didn't want people to feel forgotten or left out. Mm -hmm. Selena performed at the Houston Astrodome to a crowd of 61,000 fans. Then weeks later, performed at a venue called Denim and Diamonds in Bryan, Texas, to a crowd of about 2000 people. This would be her last live performance. But no matter the size of the crowd, Selena was honored to have the audience and thankful that people spent their time and money to see her. Selena's image was important to her. She considered herself an artist of the people. She kept her image clean and family friendly. She understood that her fan base was filled with young people and didn't want to be explicit. Selena leaned into and aimed to be a role model. This touched every decision from sponsorships to wardrobe. Her style was flamboyant, but tasteful. After Selena's death, some within the Hispanic community questioned her as a role model, specifically for Hispanic girls. In her document, in her 1999 documentary, Corpus, a home movie about Selena, filmmaker Lourdes Portillo claimed that her clothing and the makeup were sending mixed messages to her young fans. Portillo claimed that Selena was hypersexual. So we think that it's super important to remember that haters are going to hate from what we can see of Selena's wardrobe, it was pretty tame. Lots of midriff tops and tight pants, but nothing uncommon to what any girl her age would have worn at that time. Exactly. Like the the mid to late 90s, like that time period was very much the kind of like the, the girls are wearing now, like the, the, yes. the baggier pants and then mm -hmm. the tight crop top 
midriff showing like yeah that's not hypersexualized people no. that's just clothing anyway i think the bigger question for lord de sportillo might have been why do you feel like seeing a woman's stomach is sexual like we think that portillo might be internalizing a few things mm -hmm. as this thinking is not new for years, the entertainment industry has given us the image of the Latina spitfire, beautiful, young, exotic, and hypersexual with a voluptuous body. Like, she's just a, a young woman here. These depictions reinforce sexist and racist stereotypes, telling us that these women are promiscuous because of the way their bodies are shaped. Clothing and body shape don't go very far to express the whole of a person and to dismiss the inspiration and kindness Selena provided to her fans because her shirt was tight. That seems a bit much to me. Yeah, no, it seems crazy. So let's talk a little bit about her father as her manager. So mm -hmm. we've spoken before a couple of times um, about what it's like to have an overpowering father take control of his daughter's career. So like go back and listen to Janet Jackson or Amy Winehouse. Um, Abraham Quintanilla seems a bit different though. He was definitely controlling, but without the violence uh, a la Joe Jackson, Abraham is a typical immigrant dad being hard on his kids, pushing them to have a better life than he did. It wasn't that he didn't trust his kids or Selena. He was worried about people taking advantage of them or making judgments. He kept both of his girls on a very short leash due to the nature of the business. Women in the music industry weren't often respected. If they were successful, it was assumed that they slept their way to the top. Oh my gosh. My eyes just rolled out of my head. You're going to have to read the rest of the script because I don't have <laughs> eyeballs anymore. <laughs> so when the family toured, they... Suzette and Selena would sleep in their parents' hotel room because they didn't want there to be any kind of we saw Selena go here or go there. Like, because the idea was that, oh, how does she get her records played? She must be sleeping with someone. And it's like, no, she's been here the whole time. Everyone saw her here. He kept her on a really short leash because of people's perceptions. And that sucks for everyone. But I kind of understand why he had to do it. My only beef with that situation is mm -hmm. like okay selena and suzette stay with the parents but ab could just do whatever he wanted well yeah there's a lot of sexism inherent in that but you know we all know that anyway <laughs> also i feel i can't remember the age differences but like a lot of the time while they were touring like ab like got married and had a kid so like he was like a married man on tour so i guess there was no so selena finally got something. her own room when she was married to, to chris probably yeah <laughs> i would hope so anyway imagine them all sleeping at like the foot of her parents bed. <laughs> abraham knew that selena was different and didn't want anything to stop her rise some media outlets didn't buy into this fairy tale story of selena they were always looking to dig up dirt on her and her family this led Abraham to be uh, to be super suspicious of everything, even love. Mm. Did he handle the Chris situation well? No, no, he really didn't. He knows that and he's spoken on it saying, I saw him as a threat, Abraham said of Chris to Texas monthly years ago. What if they got married and he pulled her out of the band? All the work we did all those years would go down the tubes. Well, Abraham misjudged Chris. He assumed or feared that Chris would be a machista or a male chauvinist. And honestly, Abraham's more guilty of that than Chris is, I think. Uh, you know, the, the girl sleeping in his room kind of thing. Um, anyway, I, 
I've, I've got, I've got thoughts and feelings. Um, but Abraham didn't want Selena to end her career in musicals. And that was important to him. The two men made up and they were on good terms for a very long time. I like kind of get Abraham's point because you don't know how men are going to be. And especially men who are already in the Tijano music industry, who already don't think women are that great. What if like, and he was also a musician. So what if he was like, yeah, you got to do your stuff for a while, but like now I'm going to like go out and start my own band and maybe you'll come sing with me or maybe you'll just stay home and have all these babies. Like there were examples of that happening around him. So I get why he would be nervous about it. Like maybe he, his approach definitely wasn't good, but I, I get his fears. Like I absolutely get his fears. So I want to talk about how charitable Selena was because she was always doing things for her fans and just people in general. So Mm -hmm. she would host concerts, baseball games, toys for tots and fundraisers to help me to help raise money all over Texas and Mexico. But she didn't just give money. She gave her own time too. she spent time working at homeless shelters and working with women who were victims of domestic violence. On stage, she worked to change the way women were seen in the Tejano industry. She and her family pushed the boundaries of the genre, mixing different rhythms until they created subgenres. Old school and new school fans of Tejano welcomed the change and took notice that the band was looking to preserve the roots of Tejano, but also expand the audience. For this, the Encyclopedia of Latino Popular Culture called her the queen of Tejano music and the most important and popular Tejano star of all time. Selena broke records. We mentioned her concert at the Houston Astrodome in 1995, but the record she broke was actually her own, right? Selena broke attendance records three years in a row. In 1993, 57,894 people attended her concert. In 1994, that number went up to 60,081. And in 1995, it was over 66,746 people. She also won many awards while alive and after death. Five BMI Music Awards, 16 Billboard Music Awards, two Grammys, one for Selena Live, and the other for a Lifetime Achievement Award, awarded in 2021. The Hispanic community has been awarding her ever since 1986. That was when she won her first Tijano Music Award. She would go on to earn 44. 44 Tijano Music Awards. 44 Tijano Music Awards. That's wild. And 12 Lo Nuestro Awards. Selena's untimely death helped to launch the career of actress Jennifer Lopez. Lopez was cast to play Selena in the 1997 biopic film about her life and death. It was written and directed by Gregory Nava and starred Edward James Olmos and John Seda. So fans are pretty pissed about the casting of Jennifer Lopez as she is Puerto Rican and not Mexican. Plus, Selena was their queen. What if she sucked? She was some unknown Spoiler alert, she didn't. This film is my favorite thing Jennifer Lopez has ever done. <laughs> and no, she's so she's she's very she good. Just, at it. That's the first thing I ever saw her it. in. I mean, I guess that was one of her first big roles, but mm-hmm. I don't know if she like spent a lot of time with the family or what, but like the energy she puts into the energy and care and like lovingness that she puts in Selena's character, like it almost feels like it's like a documentary. Like she did such a fantastic job and the fans loved it too. Like Lopez's career exploded after this film. Netflix has also released some Selena content. Selena, the series is a television series created by 
Moises Samora, starring Christian Serratos of Walking Dead fame. It's 18 episodes split into two parts. I watched the first part and it's painfully slow. The second part picks up, but it feels a little male-centered. It's weird because it's mostly told through like the relationships with her husband and her brother and her father and the conflicts that they're having. And I do wonder if it's if we don't get to hear her voice because literally she didn't have a voice to chime in or if it's just like the patriarchy. Yeah, it's weird. but I think it is interesting to get that other perspective. I think it's also funny because like you and I had the movie and the movie is yes. Selena. Like that, oh, yeah. that to us is is everything we know about it. But this is something for this generation to keep her memory going mm-hmm. with something new and fresh. So the only beef I had with like the movie and the TV show is that the moms go from looking like regular like 30 year old moms to 70 overnight and i don't know if that's a way to keep the kids looking younger or a way to like age them up a little bit but like all of a sudden they just got like very short gray hair and like these frumpy glasses and i get like at the time her mom might have had frumpy glasses but like i've looked at pictures of her mom throughout the year and she doesn't look as old as they portray and it happens so quick like her mom in the show and the movie always starts out like really hot and then all of a sudden she's wearing like she's covered from like neck she's like to an abuela. <laughs> yes and it's like there's no in between like mm-hmm. there's no oh this mom is still wearing something nice to her daughter's concert like no she's in like moo's. like they both look so old so quickly and like the actresses that play them are like relatively young definitely in the movie the mom was like maybe not that much older than Jennifer Lopez and they made her look so old like overnight I don't really understand it's, what that's about yeah I mean I can't fully explain it but my students and I were talking about something similar to this in a couple weeks ago and one of the students said this and I don't know where they got this quote but there's definitely a source for it they said that when it comes to like portraying Latinas in the media you're either Selena or you're Yolanda and and those are the two extremes and they don't yeah. like stereotypical portrayals of latino women give you one or the other and they don't show that that latino women are everything in across the spectrum mm-hmm. in terms of size appearance aging etc yeah it's all so or either super super hot or very also the in the tv show the woman playing yolanda is is not that old but like again she looks like she looks like the maid from family guy like okay she's so covered up like i'm pretty sure she's wearing like an apron in some scene like she just looks so matronly is is what it is like anyone who's not anyone who's over the age of 25 looks so matronly in this tv show Hmm. and in the movie and i don't really get that but i guess like your student said like you're one or the other there's no and that's that's a, a that's a problem with Latino casting for sure. Yeah. Well, to sort of transition ahead um, to the present day, in 2016, MAC Cosmetics worked closely with Selena's family to put out a line of makeup that would best represent her style. Selena was into makeup and rarely seen without a red lip. Many fans were inspired by this and they wanted more. I mean, she still has fans to this day that are very, mm-hmm. very involved in everything selena 
So the idea for the collection was born from an online change.org petition that had been signed by tens of thousands of fans demanding that Mac release a line honoring the singer 20 years after her death. The people were heard and the shelves were cleared as this collection sold out in minutes. So I'm like very picky and also like a sporadic makeup wearer. But, like, I was looking at this stuff and I was like, I want all of this. Like, I want every lipstick. Like, it's so perfect. And I think it's because, like, it's meant to work on maybe, like, a darker skin tone. So it's like, oh, this would look really good on me. Mm. I want all of it. And I don't know where I would be able to get it. I don't know if they plan on coming out with another one. Maybe. I don't know. I need to do some Googles. Do some Googles. Just but don't buy old thing. makeup. Ew, No. Not, I don't do mean that? used, but like, oh. I'm sure somebody is like <laughs> selling it on eBay. You know what I mean? Oh, no. Then that's like a I wouldn't open it situation. I'm like, that's weird. I wouldn't buy makeup not to open it. But my favorite thing that they did to commemorate her mm-hmm. is Selena's on a stamp. Woo-woo. I think I just need to start like a stamp collection because I'm like way too into stamps. Like, I love them. So the U.S. Postal Service... um, created a latin music legends collection as a way of honoring um these entertainment giants so carlos gardel carmen miranda tito puente and celia and celia cruz are also featured that's a good selection right dreaming of you is the fifth and final studio album by selena it was the big crossover english album selena and her family had been waiting for It was released posthumously on July 18, 1995. It sold 175,000 copies in the U.S. on that first day, making it the fastest-selling album in 1995. Now, I don't know if I bought it on the first day, but I definitely bought that album. (laughs) It was named as the third-best posthumous album of all time by BET, which called the recording a heartbreaking testament to a young talent on the verge of superstardom. I feel like that's such a perfect description. All right. So final thoughts, takeaways, Selena. So I feel like when I was younger, I went to a, I don't feel like actually this happened (laughs) when I was younger. My school was mostly like Hispanic. So like, I listened to what they listened to. So I listened to so much Lena and just like was vibing because I didn't know any of the words. So I was like, I knew the lyrics. Like I could sing you bitty bitty bum bum word to word. But I don't know what I'm saying. But I remember when she died and I remember like we were in school, I think when like rumors started to happen. And then like the next day, like everyone came to school and was just like, like, puffy eyes like we had a visual at our school there was one like around the corner these girls were so young and they looked up to her and their moms had looked up to her and their sisters had spread the music so like it was this generational thing Mm -hmm. and they were so broken and i remember i cried too because i felt so bad that all this was happening and i was like well i don't really know her music that well and they're like yeah you do you know all the words but it's like it was i don't know there was something about her even though like i didn't speak the language like it brought everyone together and her death i think was just really really devastating to everybody and i think that happens like when people die when they're really young their lives become kind of like a time capsule Mm. and when they die violently like that becomes the story like the blood and murder and the messy trial take over and people start to forget that there was a regular person with like hopes and dreams at the start of it 
I feel like the media does like an okay job of preserving Selena's legacy. And that has a lot to do with her family gatekeeping. And I have no problem with them deciding who gets to do what. Mm -hmm. And no, Kim Kardashian cannot wear this outfit because we don't want her involved in that stuff. Like I have no problem with her family saying no to people for a really long time. I used to just focus on like the what if of it all. Like Selena was so close to that crossover album and being like a mainstream success. And it was so sad that she didn't get to achieve that. But now I'm starting to focus on like what she did achieve. Like what was that? 41 awards yeah. at the Tejano music. She, she achieved so much in her lifetime. She was only 23 and had risen to this, to, risen to fame in this industry that was not built for her. And she did it by being herself. She didn't have a leg up or a rich dad. She had like determination. And that's like impressive as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One thing it reminds me of is this whole mainstream Latinx music movement of the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we had Ricky Martin, Enrique Iglesias, although he was Spanish and that's so him being Latino is a whole other story, but they marketed him that way, right? You had Jennifer Lopez, Mark Anthony, Shakira, Gloria Stefan. I mean, she'd been around for a while, but like mm-hmm. there was a resurgence of her stuff in the 90s as well. But it makes me wonder because like I, who was a white lower middle class suburban teen, had literally never heard of Selena till her movie came out. So like I said, I got her album when it came out. I didn't. I got it yeah. after the movie came out. Yeah. Right. Like. She was killing it. It didn't matter that I hadn't heard of her, right? She was amazing and popular and mainstream within her own communities. And she was, as you talked about, she was doing that crossover. She was coming mm-hmm. over and and being a part of the English language market as well. I don't know. It just, it just makes me think about like marketing and targeting white audiences and how oh, yeah. many fantastic audience, uh, how many fantastic artists have been overlooked because of white music executives? Like, I think that's Probably so many. How big could she have been if they had, first of all, greenlit that earlier crossover album? Mm-hmm. If people were more interested in listening to music of genres that weren't just like white pop music? I don't know. I. It gets me mad. <laughs> no, you know, because I feel like I know I was young at the time, but like I listened to her music and I didn't know what she was saying, but the rhythm was so catchy mm-hmm. and you could hear like there's a song which. OK, so in the TV show, they do this thing where they have English subtitles, which makes sense, right? For the Spanish songs, but like there's a song called No Me Quede Mas. And I had no clue what that song was about, but I knew that it was sad. I knew that it was sad. So in the show... They're singing it and it's about like you thinking that you're going to be in love with this person and them not having the same feelings for you. And it is sad as fuck. And I knew that when I was a kid, Jace, just based on the way that she sang it. You like, could feel it even if you didn't you know the words. You could feel it. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if that's something that's like specific to like Selena as a person, but there is music that you can enjoy even though you don't understand it fully. I don't know. I would say like Shakira, for example, even when she did oh, yeah. translate her songs, Mm-hmm. You just felt them so much more when they were in Spanish. Yes, because I listen, all the albums you listed, I bought them all. I think to be cliche as fuck, I bought Ricky Martin, Jennifer Lopez. I think I bought them all on the same day. For sure. <laughs> for sure. I remember going to Sam Goody and at least buying two of those three. But yeah, the Shakira album, there's some song Eyes Like Yours. Mm-hmm. She does it in Spanish and it's so much cooler in right? Spanish. 
And her, I just like her voice in Spanish too. It sounds so yeah. much more natural. I she's really poetic. I like her writing. Oh yeah, I was really obsessed with that album when it came out. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. when she talks about like mis senos son como dos montañas, like my boobs are like mountains. <laughs> yes, and just like doesn't have the same poetic vibe in English. Yes, lucky that my my. Something so you don't confuse them with mountains. Yeah, that's lucky that my lucky that my chest is small and humble, so you don't confuse them with mountains. That's it. That's yeah, yeah. But in Spanish, it's definitely it just it flows a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's fantastic too. Yeah. Anyway, resources and references. Selena's Secret by Maria Celeste Arras. Selena Como la Flora by Joe Nick Potosky. Reading Selena's Father's Memoir is an Exercise in Empathy by Kat Cardenas. To Selena with Love by Chris Perez. Selena, the film released in 1997, written and directed by Gregory Nava. Uh, You can find that on HBO Max and Tubi. Selena, the TV series, you can find that on Netflix. Yeah, and even if it's not like fully through her perspective Mm -hmm. and maybe a little more heavily through the the men in her life i think there's still something that can be taken from it to help paint a more complete picture than the movie can do on its own the show did a really good job showing just like how much she was juggling like she leaned on yolanda a lot because nobody wanted her to put those shops open like her dad was like you don't have time for this her husband's like you don't have time for this so she had to prove that she could do it and yolanda was a big part of that so keeping her around and keeping her running those shops show that she could run these shops and like mm. she was proven a point and it didn't turn out super well but no <laughs> but she had good heart behind it you absolutely know? because i mean who mm-hmm. wants to think the worst of someone not me i mean i do but but what we do want to know <laughs> we want to know what you thought of this episode do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out or do you have suggestions for women we should cover in the future Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, anyone who makes your heart go bitty bitty bum bum. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we've got a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations Pod. Or just check out the link in our Linktree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you'll get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episode. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Jane Mansfield. Stick around after the episode where we'll share a teaser from that little rep. All right. Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? So, of course, it's from the woman of the hour, Selena. She says, I want to be remembered not only as an entertainer, but as a person who cared a lot. And I gave the best that I could. I tried to be the best role model that I possibly could. I respect that. Yeah. And as always, believe women. So, 
Mansfield met her second husband while catching dinner and a show at Mae West's Muscle Man Review in the Latin Quarter nightclub in New York City. I'm not gonna lie, you said she was catching dinner. I was like, like fishing. <laughs> You know what? She's a renaissance woman. She's out there just like in the Gowanus. I feel like it's like the Sims. Like your career is acting, but you have to like lift up your fishing skill level. So, you Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Also, how do I not know that you're into the Sims?